Launch Director NTD, our launch team is ready to proceed at this time. Ha, 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 ha. I've got water on deck today because I'm recovering. Don't worry about it. I'm not a superhero. I'm just a journeyman. Ladies and gentlemen, you have tuned in to episode 52 of JMC The Journeyman Chronicles. My name is Felix C. Arroyo. I am the host. I am the journeyman. I am the guy that's delivering the chronicles to your front door or earbuds or stereo in your car. However, you choose to listen to this podcast that's your prerogative but it's my responsibility to give you content to give you stories to give you the journey and that is what i'm here to do today i'm feeling pretty good because i've got this set up and i'm sure you've already seen it on the the reels on, on social media if you follow me there i've got an ironing board set up as my stand-up desk okay that's a diy you got to fucking ask me what that means. Look it up. Don't got time. Okay. I don't got time for that right now. What I do have time for is episode 52. I got to speak with Sammy Rosa Jr. My man hit me up on social media showing some love for the uh, podcast. And obviously we got into a little conversation and I said, why don't you come by? And he agreed and he did. Sammy's a mad cool cat. There's a story here, a story about drug addiction, about wanting to leave an environment to get away from drug addiction, and it's still following you. He moved from New York into uh, Pennsylvania. Had a tough time. Had a tough time. Life isn't easy, and sometimes, you know, people rely on things to get by but sammy and where he's at right now uh, you know the pre-med journey to be a doctor y- you wouldn't think of a uh, a story that starts off like that but it did it started off like that for sammy and there are some other things that took place and i don't want to get into it right now because i want the interview to speak for itself but i need you to understand when i tell you that this podcast is about sharing stories and helping you see people for for who they are as opposed to what your assumptions of them are. You know, never to judge the book by its cover, as cliche as that is. It's the truth. It's the truth. Um, you know, Sammy was just mad, chill, low-key. I feel like he's, a, he's the kind of cat that just chills low-key. I don't know, you know. I could be wrong in that, that uh, assumption. Maybe I shouldn't assume. But just having that hour and a half conversation with him easy to talk to and you know he was open to discuss some personal deep things but just chill real low key you know he's got a lot going on he's a smart guy um and he saw an opportunity uh for a better life and to better himself and uh he allowed himself to be vulnerable enough to do it and he's working with some great people some great people are working with him you know when it comes to patients are waiting when it comes to his journey to be a doctor, 
Episode 52 is going to be an amazing one. I hope you enjoy it. So, look, um, when I say uh, maintain focus and stay continuous through all four seasons, I, I really do think of this story with Sammy. It, that is the epitome of what I'm talking about. All right? No more talking. Let's get to it. I've got my bottle of water here, and I am ready to go. This is Sammy's journey, and these are the Journeyman Chronicles. Let's go. kind you like any particular kind i usually go for the ahas i don't know if i ever had an aha or bubbly lacrosse lacrosse is good too. oh yeah 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 i always called it lacrotch <laughs> i just i knew i was saying it wrong but it was so like is it lacroix is it la i just fucking said nah, i'm just gonna call I it said, i said lacrox for a while until i heard somebody say lacroix and i was like oh yeah yeah I, 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 I do think lacroix is the proper way of saying it but it just became a little funny inside okay. joke between my wife and I. <laughs> all right, so let's get this started. First of all, are you comfortable? Yeah, most definitely. Cool. Um, I'm assuming you've listened to some of the episodes. Yes, cool. Most definitely. You have a lot of a lot of prominent leaders in in oh. Lancaster on there. Thank Still, you. Yeah, I, I listened to the one with uh, Sir Dominique Jordan. He was, yeah, he was great and. Uh, uh, Mrs. Avita Cologne. Yeah, she she is a phenomenal woman. She like, is. I, I I did you see her speak to my soul? Yeah, uh, yeah. We saw it at the Wear Center. Yeah, yeah, like I've honestly I've never seen anything like that before in my yeah. life. My and, wife and I were like crying. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like, wow, this is phenomenal. And then she opened a Concrete Rose, which I have yet to go to yet. We just went for uh, extra extra give. It was our first time there. Yeah. It's so dope, and it's always a packed house, which is good. Mm-hmm. And they they were just so busy, um, but the vibe was there. Like what you see online in the pictures, that's what it felt like when we were there. Yeah, everything was alive. Everything was colorful. Yeah, that's amazing. You got to definitely go check it out. Yeah, I have to. I have to. It's one of a kind. It's, it is. It well, especially like right there um, on Duke, like. I grew up going to San Juan, mm-hmm. so I had family that lived uh, right off of Duke Street in the apartments there. My grandmother actually used to work at Duke Clothier. I don't know how long you've been in Lancaster. You grew up, because you, you said you're from New York. Yeah, I'm from New York. I've been in Lancaster about like three years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, a long time ago, um, like right where the Concrete Rose is across the street, I think the, the bank is still there. There's a bank there. Were there like the laundromat is and stuff like that? Uh, no, it's like, I don't know if it's a laundromat now, maybe, but it it, it was like a, a like a food area. spot, like a food spot. Yeah. That used to somewhere. be like a, a clothing store. Really? Yeah. My grandmother used to work there. It was called Duke Clothier. And uh, you'd walk in there and you could smell like how good the leather shoes and the, and the clothes, like it had yeah. that, that smell. And I remember going to go visit my grandmother there and... Um, it's a trip when I go back there now. Like, I bring that up because, you know, going there to, to Concrete Rose kind of takes me back. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, but thank you. Thank you for listening. Those are two people I, I would have loved to have in-house, and I'm going to look uh, look forward to and work hard to get them um, 
in 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 house and have an in person interview because as much as I I'll take an interview, having an in person interview it's a whole different it's experience. so different, dude. It's like like I can read body language and I can vibe and yes. Right now, what we're getting ready to do, it's like I look forward to this. Shit. Oh yeah, so, yeah, man, it's just so dope and. And when you reached out, like it's very few, far and few in between that somebody will reach out. And so it was really, really cool. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to be like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to offer a spot. Like, you want to come on? And you were like, yeah, absolutely. So thank you of course. For, for that. Thank you for having um, me. Absolutely. I was, it was pretty cool. Like, I think the stars aligned in a way because I, I saw you on LinkedIn and I was kind of following your... I was just starting to follow you on LinkedIn. I'm so I was, just getting into LinkedIn. Yeah, like, that's a whole a, different ball game, yes. dude. Like it's like another fucking platform I gotta uh, learn. Yeah, like I haven't even I haven't even hopped onto well Twitter. Now that everybody's hopping off Twitter, oh, I, I hopped never hopped off. On, I never hopped on the Twitter wave. I I I have struggled using Instagram, which is where everybody is right now. And I'm, I'm still I'm the old generation. I'm still on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> just, just Facebook. Yeah, pull that closer to you, bro. Yeah. Do you mind? Gotcha. Is that cool? Are you comfortable no, with that? Yeah, I just definitely. want to make sure it grabs your vocals. No, I actually stopped going to, uh, I stopped Twitter when that whole shit started and I started seeing all kinds of, sus- you know, everybody now can say whatever they want. I'm like, man, this, I just, instead of advocating against it, which is not bad, it's not wrong. And I support people that do that. I just, you know, I'm just going to remove myself and oh, I yeah. just uninstalled the app. Um, and I never really breathed life into it anyway. So Instagram. And Facebook, and and now of course LinkedIn, TikTok is another one where mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the algorithm. Most so definitely, so you you hit me up and you briefly shared your journey, and and so I would really love to kind of just get into that. Where you said you moved from New York three years ago. Where where well, from New York? Actually, I moved to Pennsylvania in 2015. I, I grew up between uh, the Bronx, New York, and okay. uh, a small town upstate, like an hour and a half north in the suburbs called New Paltz, New York. Okay. Um, uh, so I got both the city life and the mountain life. Yeah. Uh, it, it it was it was a dope experience, but uh, I feel like living in New York. Um, for one, it's constantly a competitive lifestyle in New York. You're always trying to fight to stay ahead. Like even in like job interviews, it's just like group interviews. Like mm. we're over here, it's like one on one interviews. It's like group interviews where you have to shine on top. Oh, really? It's always like so it's, that. It's like that with no matter what you're applying. When they for? say when they say that you're fighting dog eat dog yeah. in New York, it's dog eat dog in New York. You know, and uh, so I I feel like. Uh, people who live in New York, not to say that they're not up to everything that is going on in the world, but I feel like it's sort of like a bubble, you know, okay. you're constantly seeing people that look like you. It's a diverse state. It's a diverse city and even upstate. Um, so yeah, I grew up, I grew up in, in New York and then I moved to Pennsylvania in 2015. That's, that's where my true journey started. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so when you say true journey, you're, is that because you 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 look at the, living in new york as you don't consider that a true journey or that was like a a i I consider it a journey but moving to pennsylvania opened my eyes to how the world really was oh um that goes back to the bubble then yes yes you know like moving to pennsylvania i experienced my first lick of racism and like it blatant racism i should say and then that opened like 
a whole Pandora's box of thinking to everything in my childhood that I experienced and then learning more about history. And I was like, wow, this has been going on forever. Wow. That's why it made me feel like I was living in a bubble. Gotcha. You know? Um, so yeah, I moved out to 2015 when I moved out here. I first moved out to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Okay. okay. Um, near Scranton. And, and that was an experience. I was a, I was a, a, a table games dealer. I, I, I dealt blackjack and uh, three-card poker and Spanish 21. Nice. Uh, How'd you get into that? Was that something from New York you had, you had experience No. With? Like, uh, I, I ended up, my first job out here, I ended up, uh, because I, I grew up cooking. Um, so I was a, a cook in New York for a well-renowned resort uh, called Mohonk Mountain House. And uh, then I came out here. I got a job as a cook at uh, the Mohegan Sun uh, casino out in Wilkes-Barre. That sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, and then from working in there from the inside, they were holding, uh, dealer trainings. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And they had the school there and everything. And it was like, mm. I went like twice a week, you know, for a certain amount of months. And it was a, it was a fun experience. Not many people could say that they experienced yeah. that. Well, not, not to have training in house like that, uh, uh, that's a unique Oh, yeah. What was it? Were you like, yeah, I'm going to fucking do that? Or did mm -hmm. you have to get coached? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was, I, 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 of course, I spoke to other dealers and I learned how much money they can make, you know, because uh, what's weird about making money as a casino dealer is that, like, you you make an hourly wage, but you're mainly making tips. Sure. So you're making, like, a, a, a waitress's or sure. waiter's salary, basically, per hour. Um, but the amount of tips that you get per night gets into put into a pool and then it gets divided up. So then you get like an hourly wage for that day. Okay. You know? Uh, so the lowest that I made was like $12 an hour and the highest that I made was like $42 an hour. Nice. But it, it was very, very like yeah. not consistent. You well, know? I, I, that's odd though. I don't know. Like they put it in a pool. Did that piss you off? Like I've been fucking hustling and you haven't been doing shit, but, but you're getting a fair cut of the tips. Yes, uh, I would think so. Forgive me, I curse a lot. Is oh that, no, is that's that okay? perfectly okay, fine. Cool. I, I I fucking curse all the time okay, too. Good, but like, great, great, great. the thing is, is that uh, yes, that pissed me off royally. But there were times when I had bit slow nights too. And okay, I think, and I thank okay. God that that wasn't because they they do you. it on rotation. You know, actually, uh, dealers legally are only allowed to deal on the floor for an hour and twenty minutes, and then they need a twenty minute break. So you get a 20 minute break every hour and 20 minutes. Gotcha. And you're on a rotating table in, in a section. So it's like okay. you could be on a table that's dead the entire night, but you didn't choose that, you know, okay. so it helps out in a sense. So it balances out. Then everybody, everybody was aware of how this works. There was no shade, I guess, being thrown. It was, it, did you find that uh, exciting for a while? How long did you do that for? Oh, I did that. I did that for uh, a year and a half, almost two years. And it was it was very exciting. It was a lifestyle that I was living, but I was also trying to escape from, from New York. Because I I, I ended up becoming really hardcore into drugs. And okay. I would become um, very into the party lifestyle before I even left New York. It was one of the reasons that I left New York was because... I wasn't really doing anything. I was living on my mom's couch. I always had a job, but I was supporting my drug habit. Okay, you know? I got you. Um, so I was like, listen, I got to go. I kind of left New York with like $300 in my pocket, and I just came oh, wow. over here. And then I was good for, I would say, like about six months to eight months. And then, you know, it found me again. 
you know? Gotcha. And uh, so I was still continuing that lifestyle. So it fit right up my alley at the time, you know? Yeah. The, the, uh, when you said six to eight months and it found you, um, obviously the, the casino lifestyle is where that was, where, where is that where it found you that, that were you hanging around? Was it, was it partying? Was no, it, I mean, I mean it, it, the partying was around, but we were watched very closely in, in, oh, okay. in the casino. There's cameras everywhere, yeah, sure. like even right above your table. So, you know, everything is watched very closely and actually, no, like, uh, so, uh, I, I came, I'm an openly gay man and okay. I came out of the closet when I was 15, but, uh, uh, so Grinder actually, uh, gotcha. it's, it's an app where people, you know, use to hook up or meet different people. And a lot of people actually like look for drugs on there too. Get it's, out. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so that's how it found me. And, you know, temptation is a yeah. motherfucker, bro. It's just like, you know, oh, you see it. You're just like, ugh. Should I? I'm going to do it. So, yeah, it kind of. And then somebody I was dating ended up doing drugs as well. It's The opioid crisis is very big. Yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah. big, too. It's hard to escape, especially okay. if you're already in that lifestyle. Sure. And, I mean, you said, you said uh, okay, so I'm, I'm trying to follow, and, and forgive me if, if you already answered this. Six to eight months, you said that the, the Grinder app, is that is that somewhat common for that specific app or apps in general? Like, I guess you could say like social dating apps. Is there other ways that people use those apps or is it? I'm, yeah, I'm sure there's there's other ways that people use that app. The way that I, I describe Grindr is like the metaphor. Like you have like your dating apps like Tinder and, and, sure. and Bumble and things like that, where it's like I consider like top shelf liquor. And, okay. then, and then you got okay. Grindr, which is like. Your bottom shelf, like yeah. there, you know, and a yeah. lot of and a lot of people use Grinder just for like a quick hookup. Gotcha. Know? So it's like you really don't know what you're, you know, going to go into. Yeah. Know? But yeah, that was just the lifestyle that I had lived and that I brought with me back from New York. So the the six to eight months, you you left New York and you were like, I'm out. I don't want to. You're escaping that yeah. six to eight months. Was that six to eight months for you? You were able to focus and lock in, or was that uh, like? I really don't think I was ever able to focus and lock in. Okay. I, I, growing up, I, I definitely had a chemical imbalance. So I've, I've always dealt with severe depression okay. and anxiety. Yeah. Um, so actually, um, and I don't handle, I don't handle uh, extreme change very well, like drastic change. Sure. Uh, so even though I put myself in a situation of moving out here, it took a long while for me to get acclimated because like I just was going through it it was the first time i've been away from my mother it was the first time like sure. i've been out on my own i didn't have family in pennsylvania so it was just like it was a bold bold move i know why <laughs> i mean i understand why you left but why pa was that like i i had i had an online friend out here actually. okay uh and we were friends for i would say like three four years before you know i decided and i told him about what was going on and like he had an extra room uh and he invited me to come live and I was just like, you know what? I'm hopping on it. I'm doing yeah. it. You know, and uh I did it. It turned I mean, it turned out he was a really shitty character. Yeah, you, <laughs> you never know people until you Until you, you meet them. Yeah, until you yep. meet them and until you live with them. Because I believe living with somebody is a completely Absolutely. different ball game. You know, but it turned out to be a shitty a shady character. And uh, you know, I was able to maintain the apartment by myself. Um, but like I was still into drugs and you know making wrong decisions and things like that so it's like i was i was always like hanging on by a thread 
<laughs> Always. Gotcha. Where were you when? And, and obviously, I want you to, to dive in if you're comfortable with it, and just feel free to, to share whatever it is you want to share. But like, where were you when? when everything changed for you because I, I know right now uh, things are different for you and, and obviously I, I want to get into that but what, where was the point where you were like I, I can't like I can't do this was it did it take a long time after you moved from New York or did you go through it short-lived the, that experience of drug addiction and, and getting clean how was that for you uh, well I would say that I was I was on drugs for a good eight years okay eight eight to almost nine years um it started when I was 19 and I, I ended it when I was like 27, 28. Okay. Um, and the process of getting clean was, it was a struggle, but it was more that I had to just remove myself from the environment that I was in. Um, and that's how I, I, I was in a relationship at the time. Um, uh, when I was just starting to get clean and they happened to live in Coatesville. This okay. is how I ended up over here. Gotcha. I tried to run away and move myself out of yeah. that environment. Um, and then, you know, I, I've had, I've had my, uh, and since then I've been good. I, I can't say that I've been a hundred percent because I've had relapses. Sure. Um, maybe like once or twice. And, you know, but since coming out here, it's just been a whole different perspective. You think the the well, this goes back like I'm, I'm going back to when you said the living in New York it was so competitive, and that the nature of living is different than the the, the nature of, of life here in PA is that it, it's a different lifestyle, it's a little bit slower where you're able to maybe kind of like feel safe focusing on yourself, or you don't feel like you have any outside interference like com- competition. You're not in a bubble or, or do you not look at it that way? No, I, 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 I do look at it that way, you know, especially, you know, being a person of color, you mm-hmm. know, like you, you are constantly competing, but living in New York, I was competing, uh, for, of course myself, you know, and, but, the reasons out here is just completely different. You know, um, I've always felt like I've had to compete for myself just because I always was, I always really cared about what other people thought of me growing up, okay. uh, coming out at 15. Um, I was outed for one. Um, oh, so you came out not ready to come out, not ready to come out. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I was coming out at my own pace uh, and then somebody just decided to speed up that process, (laughs) you know? Um, So between that, um, I felt like I was always on the defensive. You know, I've been through, you know, different things and I understand that I keep jumping back and forth, but it just makes me think about different things. Go for it. Um, You know, I think uh, of going through, I was through, I went through conversion therapy um, when I was younger too. Um, is that what I think it is? What what, what is that? Is it they were trying to convert you or? Yeah, basically, my I grew up religious. Okay, um, so I'm sorry, and, and forgive me. I, I don't mean to step on your toes here. Just b- before before you explain, it's, it's, it's no, you're not. I'm just <laughs> trying to. I'm trying to. Um, when you were outed, okay, so you're 15. You already, you were, you had planned on coming out on your own pace. Somebody decided to change that, so now you're outed. Mm-hmm. Well, your family then in return was trying. Obviously, they were aware of that, that that you were gay, and they were trying to convert you. Or, or is no, that where we're going? They okay. didn't know. They didn't even. They didn't know that process was happening. Oh it wow! Was, it was unknown to them. So I went to. Uh, 
I was going through Bible school at the time. I would go through every Tuesday, and I, 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 I had my I, I brinked on the scale of masculinity and femininity, mm-hmm. you know, as a child, and um, just that it was always pointed out when the femininity would be pointed out, like in Bible school, uh, like we would, and then you know, certain students would get taken to other rooms where they would learn how being homosexual is a sin that you know you wow. can't and this is like like eight nine you know wow. things like that so it's like whereas people think that conversion therapy it is it it could be very brutal and people have gone through brutal versions of conver- conversion therapy like physical abuse and things really? like that yeah at a young age at a young age yes yeah. um i feel like i've gotten the light end of the stick where i was but it always mess with my head so because of that experience and then you know being outed and things like that i was always on guard so i always felt like i had to compete and then coming out here bringing it full circle i definitely had to feel like i competed especially realizing the racism that was prevalent yeah were you aware when you were going through your conversion therapy at that age did you understand what was going on no i didn't understand it until a year and a half ago. Really? Okay. Yes. And that, uh, that would make sense because I can't imagine that as a child, I don't think even as a child, and correct me if I'm wrong, but were you even able to fully grasp what you were feeling even as a child? The, the, did you did you recognize that you were gay or at a young age? Oh, or? yeah, most definitely. Um, I, I, I knew when I was from as long as I can remember of feeling that way. But the problem was is that Growing up, I always had that constant struggle is how am I going to be gay if I growing up is having a wife, having kids, having the white picket fence. The expectations. The expectations. So that was a constant battle growing up as a kid. It's just like, how am I going to do that? You know, I can't, you know, how am I going to to have a child? How am I going to do this? And things It's always just trying to live up to expectations. A lot of the um, when I. uh, the, a lot of the stories that I hear from from family members, my my sister's gay, um, and I remember, I remember, you know, her her moment in life dealing with that the the juggling act and and us as her family being unaware that she was dealing with that. And so when I hear people share this story of like, um, I was just trying to do what I thought was expected of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so even as a child, you don't know what you're dealing with, but I, you are also aware that there's an expectation. Yeah. Um, and that, that can play a lot of games on, on your mind. And, and so I would think that it would make sense for, for most people to, to hear a story like that and go, yeah, I can, I, at least I think that way. It makes sense to understand how that's fucked up. Like how yeah. can that, how can that, you know what I mean? How can that be justified? Um, conversion therapy. I never even heard it discussed or, or spoken about like that in a church setting. I'm assuming mm-hmm. is, that, is that yeah, most definitely. And what's even more fucked up is that it was just banned earlier this year, right here in Lancaster County. Wow, really? Just recently. So just re- I didn't I didn't even know it was happening, and, and they yeah. just banned that. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, most definitely, it's good. It's a shame it took this long. Yeah. You know, but it's the way America works. Well, it's a lot of. I mean, that that causes a lot of um, hurdles, mental mental challenges, mental therapy that I'm, I'm assuming people have to go through. It, it, which is a shame because it's bad enough in this world and in this life in this society that a man or a woman can't live their their, their true life without 
feeling some sort of way from other people and then to couple that with the fact that now you've got this mental anguish if you will at a young age Mm -hmm. i mean most definitely um, talk about the, the the blatant racism that you experienced um i'm taking that like you, you weren't aware of racism or you were but you didn't realize it was like that i was aware of racism but you really the the statement is true that you really don't experience something until you experience it yeah so it's like yes you can learn and hear about racism all you want and this is why you know i'm very firm that you know white people can never ever feel what people of color go through on a daily basis is because of of that you know i come out here and you know i feel it happened to me and it opened my eyes but i didn't know i didn't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. i didn't know what to do with it um and then coming out here uh i I see. I feel like even though Lancaster is many steps behind, I feel like it is very progressive as well. Sure. So there was a lot of people, of course, in in light of George Floyd, that was actually doing something. You know, so that's where I found my outlet. Gotcha. That's around the time that you you moved here shortly before that, correct? Yes. But when you moved into Lancaster, when when in Lan- when did you move to Lancaster? I moved to Lancaster twenty. 20- like 19, 20? No, no, no. Uh, oh, okay. I would say like 2020. Okay. Maybe early 2021. I moved out to like over out on Columbia Ave. So I was, okay. like, I was like outside of the city. Um, and then I moved into the city just last year. Gotcha. Yeah. And the, one of the things that, that I, I noticed about you when I, when I got hit to you, um, it was patients are waiting. Yeah. And it was pre-med. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and, and when you reached out to me, um, and I was like, yeah, we were kind of, you know, we we're chopping it up. And you mentioned that I was like, okay, now I know, I know I'm talking to the right guy. So break this down for me because this is, this is the, the upswing I feel like yes. in your life. It's, mm-hmm. it's a complete 180, yeah. which in the right way where, where you're, you're, I'm, I'm assuming, and I want you to fill me in. Obviously there's a lot of, you're embracing yourself. You're following some goals or big goals and you're accomplishing some things that maybe you weren't even thinking about five years ago. Most definitely. Uh, so Patients Are Waiting is a nonprofit organization, and their mission is to eliminate health disparities by increasing diversity in medicine. Okay. So the way that they do that is they support underrepresented minority students in medicine through the pipeline, um, help them navigate that. They find ways to make the pipeline less leaky because obviously the reason that we say the pipeline is because only 5% of doctors are African-American in the United States. And that number has not changed in about 50 years. Wow. And and now it's starting to be on the uprise. More African-American people are, are or my, more BIPOC people are definitely uh, applying for medical school now. But and then they also support minority clinicians in practice already. Okay. Um, so I got on to patients are waiting um through I was doing a lot of protesting work in Lancaster. Um and through that you meet, you know, a whole bunch of different people and I met uh 
through doing housing advocacy through the Lancaster LGBTQ plus coalition. Um, I met uh, two wonderful women, uh, Dr. Sharice Hamblin and Dr. Cherie Livingston. Um, Dr. Sharice Hamblin is uh, OBGYN over at Women and Babies Hospital, um, and she is the founder and president of Patients Are Waiting. Okay. Uh, Dr. Livingston is a founding member, and she is uh, the head department chair of the OBGYN clinic at UPMC Lidditz. Okay. Um, and they... They em embraced me into the role of director of community health. Um, you, so how did that happen? Uh, when you say embrace, they embraced you. <laughs> they embraced me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, I say embrace because, like, I I never saw myself in a position like that, just coming from where I came from. Yeah. Um, but actually, uh, I a close friend of mine actually was offered the position and she couldn't do it due to the fact of, you know, life and having too many things on her plate. So she recommended me and that was just a blessing in itself. Um, having that recommendation from her. Um, and then I interviewed and I got the position and that was like, that's where like it up, up upswing, upswing. There yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Upswing. And you can act, I mean that I'm sure at that moment that was, a, you could feel the difference, the momentum in, in your life. That was the turning point for you. The, yeah, the that recommendation. Was, the, that was, that was the turning point for me. Um, because, but like I also dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, so, okay. Uh, on your behalf, on your behalf, on you my feel? behalf. Yeah. So, uh, for those listening that don't know what imposter syndrome is, basically imposter syndrome is uh, the feeling that you're a fraud, the feeling that you're not supposed to be in the seats where you're making decisions, these sure. decisions of power and things like that. Um, so I, I got hired on. And uh, so my job was to help uh, help increase vaccine numbers amidst the pandemic. Okay. Because I got hired right in the middle of the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my, my job. Um, so uh, with that, it was it was very hard to navigate at first because patients are waiting. Uh, they're solely dedicated to helping students. And then this vaccine equity work was like they took on the initiative. Okay. You know, they took on the initiative as well as other organizations, Union Community Care as well, um, took on that fight where I personally feel that, you know, hospitals left small organizations like nonprofit organizations to do the heavy work gotcha. during okay. that time. Um, and that was common across the board. Did you experience that not just with patients or wedding, but any any other nonprofits in the, uh, you mentioned, I, I, you just mentioned some other ones. Is that was that something that um, that you were noticing not just here, but it, was that was that water cooler talk, so to speak, and, and where people were like, "This is also happening elsewhere." They're just letting these nonprofits take take the heavy. Burden. Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, uh, for the hospitals to have as much resources as they they did or they do, um, yeah, I, I felt like there was constant obstacles throughout that whole process you know just even just so when everything was in quarantine here you know how they built that vaccine clinic out yep by the mall yeah at the mall it, um was the bonton building or the boscos building yeah yeah something like that and and so even that in itself 
was inequitable for people because if you think about it, if you think Lancaster's split up into four quadrants, anybody who's in from Lancaster knows that the southern quadrants of the city is the neglected portion sure, absolutely. of the city. You know, so if you think and if you look at numbers and maps, that is also where a majority of people do not have vehicles. You know, okay. so to put a vaccine clinic out at the mall made it very inaccessible for people in the southern quadrants or in, uh, I would say, redlined areas uh, to be able to get to these vaccine clinics. Gotcha. Um, and then to be able to push out information as well was hard as well. What, what, what was hard about pushing the information out? Just because uh, everybody's catering to a certain audience. Okay. And, and I also feel that one of the biggest problems here in Lancaster is that everybody is constantly trying to create change uh but not staying in their lanes doing so okay. so it's a constant like crossover when if people took a step back and just spoke like a lot of people are doing you know same ideas and things like that it gotcha. would be a little bit more smoother um also like who has lived in a pandemic in our lifetime right you know so right. it's just like even just that thought of of handling the pandemic how do we get information how do we know um and the thing is is that lancaster uh lancaster city well we don't have a public health department um okay. so that made things a lot harder because whereas in other places who do have a public health department they can go to their public health department they could be able to you know sh strategize how to hit all different areas of the city amidst the pandemic or things like that gotcha. um people here we're just kind of just doing it blindly and even when you get records and and data and statistics um you can get data and statistics for the entire of lancaster county but when it comes to lancaster city there's really no hardcore data going to a public health forum. Wow. It's really amongst just the hospitals. So it, what it sounds like to me is uh, it's a couple things. It's the fact that obviously uh, the pandemic threw a spotlight on a lot of these inconsistencies that otherwise we probably wouldn't really be talking about oh, for yeah. the most part as a, as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, but two... And correct me if I'm wrong. What you're saying is your your experience was that they still weren't even doing enough, even when the pandemic popped off and everything was happening the way it was happening. There wasn't like a, oh, we're not prepared for this, and there's not enough access to this demographic of people, even if you want to call it that, really, mm -hmm. because predominantly on the southern quadrant, it's black and brown people. Yes. Um, they they weren't even still doing enough is that, and and people are not staying in their lanes was that was that making it difficult for for you or to do your job is that is that another frustration or, mm. or am i reading that right or no yeah in a sense you know uh it was it was hard to it was hard to navigate things because uh you know nobody was talking to each other you know okay. you know and nobody was talking to each other especially during quarantine you know it was hard um and then it was mainly it was just mainly not having concrete information you know it was down to where you know union community care which is a great organization they have clinics all over the city um 
they were knocking on people's doors and going to, you know, people's houses and bringing vaccines to them, you know, because yeah. like, you know, it was hard to schedule people to come out to certain places. Um, so I had learned that by uh, putting on my own vaccine event through Patients Are Waiting. That oh, was did? my okay. first. That was my first uh, big thing. So I applied. Uh, Dr. Hamlin and I we applied for uh, this grant through the state uh, PA Unites Against COVID. Okay. Um, it was a hundred thousand dollar grant that we applied for that we ended up getting. Um, and then we used that to create uh, the Health Equity Lancaster Music Festival. Okay. Um, it was a, a six-week music series. Uh, every Friday, I was from, uh, I want to say from November to, to, no, I'm sorry, from December to early February. This is December of 2020? 2021 2021 okay so yeah. last year december yeah okay um yeah so uh we we wanted to create uh a space um where one people can have fun and and feel safe um but we wanted to also have vaccines available for people as well there um now it was held at christmas addicts um, we did it uh, every Friday for six weeks. Okay. Um, the strategy behind that was so that if people had come to get their vaccine on the first one, they knew that they can come back three to four weeks later at the same exact time to be able to get their second dose gotcha. or to get their booster or things like that. Gotcha. You know, to make it so that be, the problem was that people were holding pop up clinics, but they weren't holding them in the same place. So it's like people has people had to do work to find these. Exactly. Pop-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Most and definitely. That, yeah. And that could be frustrating when when you have limited resources. Yes, definitely. And so what we did was is that we wanted to create this music festival and highlight local artists of color. Cool. Um, so we had uh, Terry and Mac uh, okay. perform, uh, Worldwide Wednesday, Sir Dominique Jordan, uh, Kiana Corley, uh, and then the Spanish cover band called Los Monstros. Okay. Uh, they're great. They're great. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the thing with that was is that we realized that Vaccine equity was not solely based on getting people vaccinated. It's about preventative resources. Okay. Um, so whereas in people were focusing on, oh, we need to get people vaccinated. We need to get people vaccinated. Not enough people were focusing on how do we prevent this from happening again? Sure. How do we make sure that once a pandemic, if a pandemic happens again, um, they have resources available for them? Yeah. Um, so... My our plan around that was we had tenfold there. We had uh, Tabor, um, uh, we had uh, ERAP at the time, Emergency uh, Rental Assistance Program there okay. uh, on site every single week, so that people can come and fill out applications with a representative there okay. in front of them, okay. instead of having to go online or you know having to do something over the phone. Um, we had people there. Uh, we also had. Uh, TCP was there okay. uh, doing a live broadcast as well and uh, shining some light on there. And we had organizations like CAP uh, was there giving out information. Uh, the Lancaster LGBTQ plus coalition was handing out uh, free at home COVID kits and uh, STD kits and gotcha. things like that. It was it was 
There's a lot that went into this. Yes, there was a lot that went into this. Uh, you know, soulfully famous. You had uh, yeah, Lori. Chef Lori. Yeah, yeah, Chef Lori. You had her on here too. She was. She was. Uh, that's how me and her became very cool. She was my chef every week nice. for that event. Um, and yeah, it was. It was a very. It was very humbling uh, to see uh, everything come about and to see people have fun. Yeah. You know, you know, especially like salsa night, pe- salsa night, people were dancing and people were having fun. And it was just like kids were having a good time as well. And it was just like, oh, man, it was yeah. heartwarming, you know. Well, by that point, I mean, you're talking about December 2021. By that point, it was a year and a half, almost two years of this. What the fuck are we doing? You know, that yeah. that life of one day we're open, the next day we're not uh, the masks, the the constant hand sanitizer, the distance, the not going out, job people were losing jobs. Um, I'm sure at that point it was it was nice to finally see like a breath of fresh air, if I could say that. Yeah, most definitely, and and even more so because Lancaster was and is still still healing from a tragic event that happened on September 13th, 2020, where cops shot and killed Ricardo Munoz, yes. um, who was having a mental health episode um, and resulted in, you know, political prisoners who are still fighting for their life at this moment, yes. uh, which is very tragic. But we were still healing from that, you know, so it was nice to see people come together, yeah. you know, um, after that tragedy you know so i mean there's questions i want to get into after this but i'm just i'm I'm listening to what you're saying and it's like this this entire uh experience that you just described for me was that motivating for you to i mean was that was that a big push in your in your path right now to what you're doing i mean you're helping people you're of service there's it's for a it's for an extremely important cause but not only were you doing something on the uh, on the on the front end, so to speak, but you were also thinking, like you said, what can we do to put us in a position where we're not having to deal with X, Y, and Z? It's it's the it's the planning of the of the shit that we need to do beforehand. Oh yeah, most definitely. Was that motivating for you? Was that inspiring in some way? I it, mean, I feel like it it would be. No, I'm looking was, at you, and you don't look like you are. <laughs> I mean, was it troubling for you to look at it? No, that way? it's it's not that it was troubling. It's just that like. So dealing with with depression and anxiety and imposter syndrome, I have a very hard time celebrating my accomplishments. I understand exactly what you're saying. I have a very hard time celebrating my accomplishments. And even when, you know, I talk with people and tell them the things that I didn't, they're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I'm just like, yeah, I hope that other people would do it as well. Yeah, (laughs) I, I completely hear you. And I think it's fair. To feel the way that you're feeling, yeah. Um, but and I, I appreciate the when you when you brought up imposter syndrome because I know exactly what that is and I've heard of it, but I've never really spoken about it by its name. Yeah. But I know exactly what you're talking about because I go th- I go through the same thing. Yes. It's almost like I'm I'm I I don't feel worthy mm-hmm. of um when people say you're good at this you're so you look what you've done it's like okay yeah that can don't focus on me yeah and 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 it's crazy because like at that point um i had been an housing advocate for the lancaster lgbtq plus coalition i was director of community outreach on the board for lancaster pride um and i uh I was doing all of the work that i was doing in the community beforehand but 
for free, I should say. Yeah. You know, before people started to take, you know, me and others seriously. Um, but uh, it was an accomplishment in itself uh, to to feel that. But yeah, the imposter syndrome weighs me down even still to this day. I can understand. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, it's always been that growing up, just constantly feeling like I need to, I was never enough, you know, never enough, no matter what I did. So that's kind of like why I just kind of shitted on my life. Yeah. For a what was bit. it about at a young age? What were you experiencing that, that caused you to the, the, the imposter syndrome taking over your life? Cause that's what it does. It takes over. It really does take over your life when you're, you're too, um, you're uncomfortable highlighting your success, which is really, you should be highlighting your success. What was it? What was it that you went through at a young age? Mm, I would, I would say uh, between the things that we discussed already earlier sure. and then, you know, coming out like my, my parents said that they were okay with it. My mother thought it was a phase for a while, yeah. um, okay, which yeah. is tough. Uh, you know, coming from a, a pretty hardcore Spanish family, you know, it's, it's certain stereotypes yeah. are just there. You know? Yeah, man. <laughs> um, and then my father said he was cool with it, like, until, like, it came down to, like, arguments. Like, you know, he would call me a faggot, and, like, we would, like, he would really go for the jugular, and now he just doesn't even look for me. But uh, it, 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 I guess it was a constant, constant abandonment from different people that caused me to have abandonment issues as well as imposter syndrome. Sure. One thing is that that I can completely understand and relate to is the hardcore. Um, are you Puerto Rican? Yes. Okay. Puerto so Rican the hard, the hard. Oh, I'm sorry. Puerto Rican and black. Puerto Rican, uh, black <laughs> people of color. Our upbringing at, with families, especially um, like when, when I when I speak of being a Puerto Rican, that was very strict. Yes. It was almost like. Um, Sometimes I would go to my friend's crib when I was a kid and watch and listen to the way they would interact with their family and the way the shit they'd get away with. And I'd be like, that shit would Horrified. not, it would not, I would never think about it. <laughs> Horrified. So, I wasn't even allowed to have sleepovers. Yo, <laughs> yeah. man, there were times that my, my sister and I joke around about it, you know, and I, and I try not to do it in front of my mom because she feels bad. But, you know, there's times where I was like, yo, we, we my, my sister wasn't allowed to leave the backyard or sometimes I, my friends would come over and be like, you want to go out? And I'm like, I, I'm not allowed, you know, just because my mom just didn't want me out. Yeah. Now mom, I understand now as I'm older, but I mean, it fucking sucked. Oh you yeah. Know? Most definitely. My mom didn't play, <laughs> you know, it, they, they all knew my mom as Sam's mom because she she just didn't play, you know? Yeah. They, they, she, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it was, it was, so yeah, back to like, it, my mom thought it was a phase and, and my dad just kind of used it to, to hurt me uh in a sense so like uh yeah uh coming out was was tough yeah yeah most definitely you know in a perfect world following your heart coming out as a gay man or coming out as a gay woman uh, or um, rediscovering yourself as a different gender or maybe non-binary. Things like this shouldn't be complicated, shouldn't be hard, but they are. I mean, uh, when Sammy talks about conversion therapy, that that literally broke my heart. Uh, 
children that are being physically abused, uh, mentally abused in a church setting for crying out loud. What the hell are we talking about here? But seeing Sammy now and what he's doing, what he was doing uh, when he started with Patients Are Waiting and getting the, you know, the Health Equity uh, Lancaster Music Festival together uh, so that people could get COVID shots and booster shots. You know, when he mentions that the mall, uh, you know, Park City Mall hosting the the vaccination, you know, building, if you will, uh, people in the southern quadrants weren't able to get to the mall that easily. It wasn't that accessible to them. These are things that he's thinking of. Um... And so here's Sammy, who's dealing with his own demons, who was a recovering addict and trying to fight for himself, but also fighting for others. He is of service. And I think that's the, the beautiful part about this whole story. Second half of this interview is coming at you next. I hope you're enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense, though, when you break it down like that um, for anybody in life dealing with abandonment issues, especially with the people that you're supposed to believe in the most that will have that will provide security for you as mm-hmm. your parents is your the household that you're in. Um, my mother didn't. My mother just really didn't understand. Now my mother is my best friend. You know, I'm just saying like, oh, well, that's that's good. Though, yeah. Though. Yeah. My mother. My mother is is. I, I can honestly say the only family that I keep in constant contact with, you know, um, my father, not so much. So like my I can say that my mother was open to understanding and, and learning and figuring out where I was coming from. Is that over the course of time, the course of years? Oh, yeah, most definitely. And And my mother, my mother never my mother never made me feel bad about who I was. I hear you. Um. The thing about it is, and I have to like make this very clear because, you know, when I tell people that, oh, she thought it was a phase and things like that, they automatically think negatively. Um, my mother was in denial because, you know, obviously at, at the time that I was coming out, I was 15. I'm 31 now. so like 15, 16 years ago. Um, being gay was not as accepted as it is now. Sure. Absolutely. You know, so yeah. coming out of the closet put a fear in her. Okay. For, for your safety, for, for your my protection. safety, Absolutely. for my protection. Yeah. So that's where the denial came from. Gotcha. And that's where she was overly protective in that sense. It wasn't because she disagreed with the lifestyle. It wasn't because she, you know, had a homophobia. She was worried for my safety. I got you. And that makes sense. I think for our parents' generation, the, the conversation that we're having right now just never happened. Yeah. And, um, like it, from what you're telling me, like I, my parents went through the same thing uh, with my sister and my mom was my mom was the same, a, a little unsure, but present mm-hmm. and not really knowing what was going on, but understanding that there was something that needed she needed to be present for. My father had a very difficult time and I, I don't know of this to this day if he's ever really been present uh for my for my sister in that regard but i can understand what you're saying and and that just goes to show like a mother's love will always 
it, it, it perseveres. Most definitely. Yeah. Always. Yeah, my mom's my number one. Is she still in New York? Or? Uh, actually, my mom moved down to Florida early this year. Nice. Earlier this year. That's been... She's always wanted a house by the beach. There you know, you so... Yeah, so, like... Once I moved to Pennsylvania, she spent a good, you know, six years because she wanted to be close. But like it got to a point that I, I told her, like, mom, you got to go. Yeah. Like, you just you just got to live. For so she was all she had one. She had wanted to go, but, yeah. but held on. She held on most definitely because, you know, we are like each other. We are each other's constant in each other's lives. OK. You know, so like whereas in like I'm her I'm her only family that she speaks to on a daily basis, like vice versa so uh we were very attached in that sense so she didn't want to move too far from me because she was afraid if something happened and things like that was like mom i'm an adult now you know like you know i understand what you're going to but like you have to you have to go live (laughs) go live your life you know because my mother my mother was a single mother you know uh growing up and she she always put me first uh my mother's my mother's parents left her at a very young age at the age of like 16 um and so she was fighting so she wanted to give me the better life so whereas in you know she always made sure that i was in you know sports i was always you know doing something i was in dance i was uh i was always doing something she always made sure that i was busy gotcha you know most definitely because she didn't have that you ever think about like um like I'll think about, and I have a really good uh, relationship with my mom as well. Where everything you described, I completely agree with. And and my mom will will and I will have talks, and I've learned more how to accept my mother as just a person yeah. that has gone through her own fair share of shit. That we relate so much more. Not that we didn't relate before, but you know what I mean, like. Um, there's a lot of people that, that only relate to their parents as parents. Yes. And and when you grow up and you mature as an adult and you can have a conversation and look at your parent and go, yeah, but I also I also see you for who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And that, that shows a lot of growth for you, especially when you say, like, she's your only family, but yet you were strong enough to say, I'm okay. You need to go oh, yeah. and be happy. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't easy for you. Oh no, it wasn't easy. It wasn't like I, I struggled with that. Uh, my mom going, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that you said, cause you never realize what your parents do for you until you're an adult. Right. You know? Um, so like I, I put my mother through, through how, you know, like I said, I had I I was dealing with my chemical imbalances and dealing with my mental health issues, um, as well as dealing with coming out of the closet and all of that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, she she I put her through the ringer, <laughs> um, just rebellious, just defiant, just it was it was bad, and even just uh, later on. In life, um, I've realized how much I put her through, yeah. you know, um, and but I also have realized, especially through my work and seeing like how the world is and stuff like that, how much she uh, we butted heads a lot when I was protesting and things like that okay. um, around that time. One, because we were in the middle of the pandemic 
and she she was worried for my it was again sure. worried for my safety absolutely you know? but it came off as that she wasn't really supportive of the work that i'm doing whereas i, I feel you. i got i you. felt that like this is bigger than me like i, I don't care you. if i get sick like i don't care if like i'm trying to make a change like this can't happen you yeah. know yeah and yeah, my mother yeah. is like you can't do this to me, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know yeah. if you die, what am I going to do? You yeah. know? So like, it's like, I understood, but we, we bumped heads a lot. And, you know, like I said, I dealt with my, my chemical imbalances with my mental health, which I dealt with. I finally got to get uh check, get it checked out when I was like 26, 27. So I was just moved to Coatesville area. 2018 i would say okay so before this happened which led to why i wanted to become a doctor basically yeah. um so i was i was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder and uh adhd okay um by a doctor in which i was prescribed uh seroquel and i was prescribed adderall okay. um and so the Seroquel, for those who don't know, that's what you take for bipolar disorder, and it makes you feel very zombie-like. Mm. It, it leaves you groggy. It just leaves everything in a uh, in a funk. Um, but I don't, and with this twist, is I don't know if that's how it's really supposed to be because, like I said, I was misdiagnosed. So I was taking medications for uh, a mental health disorder for two years. Gotcha for something that I never had. Okay. You know, um, so that was like, that was a struggle. That was a struggle in, in myself. I lost myself. For well, I mean, did you know right away that this was making me feel like a zombie? Oh yeah. Right from the very beginning. And right you still continued beginning. for two years. I continued for two years because the doctor said that like, this is what yeah. it is. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and you're trusting the doctor. And I'm trusting the doctor, you know. And so, yeah, you know, this is what it is. And so, um, yeah, and I was scared that if I went off of it that, like, it would be worse for me too. Sure. You know, I became reliant on it and it became the worst thing as well because like the Seroquel made me very sleepy and then I woke up very groggy and then the Adderall woke me up. So yeah. it was like, it was like I ended up becoming very reliant on both of them, the Seroquel sure. to fall asleep and then the Adderall to wake me up. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have that, like I was fucked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was fucked. What, how, how were you able to finally get off of that? Uh, I ended up going, I ended up getting off of it probably, I stopped taking it last year, but I went to go see a, a doctor again and it was the first uh doctor of color that i've ever had okay um and his name was dr michael robinson phenomenal doctor uh and he actually he actually took the time to figure out what was going on in my life socioeconomic uh okay socioeconomic status you know things like that figuring out what kind of struggles am i having what kind of struggles did i have you know things like that um to finally realize that like what the reason that I couldn't focus was because I had my anxiety was through the roof. 
And the reason that I wasn't able and motivating to do things and it felt like my my emotions were out of control is because I suffered from severe depression. So he was the one that told me that, like, you don't have bipolar disorder and you don't have ADHD. Um, And he was like, you just have really severe depression and you have anxiety. And then once he prescribed me the right medications, that's when everything just started clearing up. Wow. Yeah. Did you notice right away that it takes some time for it to... The cycle through. The reason why I ask is because two years of taking medication that uh, that were incorrectly prescribed for you, uh, and and your body can adjust, and and now you're taking a different set of medication that obviously ended up being correct for you. Did you feel that right away? That change? Uh yeah. It was. It took a while to get adjusted to. Okay. Um, I feel like anything. Anything with mental health medication uh, is a journey in itself. And the thing is, is that because people think that once they get prescribed, the common misconception is is like that medication is going to be the right thing for you. But the thing is, is that like what one medication could be good for one person is not good for another person. You know, so it's a constant trial and error until you find the right Mm. balance of medication so yeah. people get discouraged within the first try or the second try which is why they don't continue to pursue that you fair know? enough and yeah it is it's understandable why they don't it's just it's a struggle to for uh anybody to deal with their mental health yeah you know anybody who's who's looking for mental health which is why i'm so passionate about it now yeah and, and, and i kind of want to get into that because you kind of you snuck it in there the, the your you know the doctor um the is that what you're going for to be a doctor yeah so and obviously look i when we talk about doctors incorrectly um um how do you say it again i'm sorry he he uh the uh the doctor misdiagnosed okay me. he misdiagnosed you i i'm not gonna throw shade on anybody that that takes uh the life of, of being a doctor and and i could never make calls like that i'm sure it's it can be very challenging but that's got to be a frustrating part of when you talk about the journey of mental health is people taking the step to do the right thing and to get their life in order but then being misdiagnosed to that degree that for two years you said you lost yourself so you lost two years of your life is that fair to say that's that's Is, is, is that something that is that what led you then into this, into the pre-med journey here that, that I would like to talk to you about is, are you, are you looking forward to correcting some wrongs that you may feel that you experienced? Uh, yes. Uh, it, it's what lit the fire underneath of me to want to be like, I've always wanted to become a doctor, but I figured that I wanted to become a psychiatrist at that point. Okay. Um, but I didn't have the courage nor motivation nor thought that I can do it until I started working for patients are waiting. Okay. Yeah. So they gave you the, they gave you the, the permission to be okay with, uh, highlighting your success. Is that fair to say? That's very fair. Okay. So talk to me about it. So what, like, like what, what's going on now that what's the goal here? So, so, I mean, the goal is I ultimately would like to become a psychiatrist and do research to figure out how to better treat mental health illnesses. Okay. The thing is, is that like, I don't, even though I believe that Western medicine is very good and it's needed sometimes, I don't believe it is the only solution. Um, I believe that we can heal things in a very holistic approach. Um, 
where we're not trying to drain people for their pocket out of like drain the people of money and things like that for their health you know like like for instance like the realest statement that i heard just recently was that pharmaceutical companies take uh natural remedies and put it together in a pill form and sell it to us Mm. you know where like for instance aspirin is just white willow bark you can wow. get white willow bark in natural form at organic stores. Wow. So that's the hustle that they, they that's literally... That's the hustle that they're doing. Wow. You know, and it, it, it shines a light that like, you know, yes, there is certain things that Western medicine can help. I believe that Western medicine is a temporary fix. Um, I believe it puts a Band-Aid on the problem. Some people can need it for support, you know, life-sustaining things or life... Uh, I should say life uh, altering, you know, diseases or viruses and things like that. Yes, they may need it. But like even with specifically mental health medications, I believe that mental health medication should only be for a temporary basis. Okay. Um, I, I, I believe that there are other holistic approaches to and not all mental health illnesses, you know, but like a lot of them, like depression and anxiety and things like that, um, ADHD, you know, I'm sure knowing that when I got diagnosed with extreme anxiety and I started looking into it, I started to realize how much anxiety I had and how much it wasn't making me focus. But people don't associate anxiety with anxiety, you know, Wait, like as in like mean? people don't people you wouldn't. You couldn't imagine how many people have anxiety and don't even know that they're going through it. Oh, okay. Now I understand. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Is that like, so once I learned about anxiety, uh, I kind of uh, realized how much of my actions was a result of that anxiety. Uh, So yeah, and that's what, uh, that's ultimately what I want to do, but it is not, I am not holding that to my end goal. Um, I don't want to limit myself. You know nice. what I'm saying? So, yeah, so I whereas you. in I, yes, I have a goal, but it's, it's, I know that that goal can change at any time during my journey, Yeah, you know, but I still want to be in the medical field, but like, I may want to go into general surgery. I may want to go into, to neuroscience, you know, I may want to, you know, study the brain, you know? So like, yes, my, my goal is to work with mental health. Uh, but I know that the, the options are limitless. Yeah, but wait, it sounds like you're also aware, like you're aware that that's life. Yes. That, that shit changes. Most definitely. Um, you know, what you have planned today uh, or what you plan today for tomorrow may not really turn out the way. And a lot of people can't adapt to that. No. So it sounds like, have you always been understanding of that philosophy? No. Okay. That's what, okay. No, okay. not at all. Uh, I was, I was a very, like most people, uh, very quick satisfaction, you know, gotcha. kind of guy. Um, and also what I feel is a really, what I feel is detrimental to people is that people are taught to find a goal and pick it and strive for that goal. Um, where as I feel that is detrimental because you're, you're putting people on a, a one track mind. They put, put that goal in front of them and then everything else is just, yeah. Blinded until they get to that goal. And that's the thing is that like, 
I, I, it took me a while to understand. It took, it took a lot of yoga and meditation and, and things like that, spiritual healing, um, to be able to understand that it's not, it's not the end goal that is the accomplishment. It is, it is the journey Mm -hmm. to get there. It's the pursuit. It, It is the pursuit. And I've had to learn that, you know, I've had to learn to enjoy the now and not yeah. stress for the outcome of the future. I was very intent on trying to control the outcomes in my life. A lot of people feel unfulfilled when they do reach a goal because, you know, it, because it isn't about that. It's about the journey, but also that there's so many other options. I tell my kids that my daughter isn't going to college and my son, he's in, yeah, a sophomore in high school. And I'm like, um, you know, I, I want you to find something that makes you happy, but also I want you to be prepared for life to change. And that's okay. Just Mm -hmm. don't stay stagnant. Just keep moving. Always learn something. Always people go to school three different times in their life to learn three different things. It happens. Most definitely. And, 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 and I'm the perfect example. Like I've tried, I I graduated high school early. I was in college at the age of 17. Whoa. Uh, yeah, and so I had no business being in college at the age of 17. <laughs> uh, but, like, I went away to college, and, you know, I've tried, and I failed in, in, in many instances with school. And now I'm 31 in my first year of pre-med. I'm not going to finish until my early 40s, but, you know, that's yeah. okay. You know, but... Uh, but you have a different mindset now. Oh, yeah. You, you feel at 17, you weren't, pro, you weren't... You had no business, you said, being in college. I, I, I feel that we... We give our senior high school students a disadvantage when we let them go because I, well, when high schools let them go, because I feel that it is very unfair to ask a 17 or 18 year old to figure out what they want to do in life and plan their college career for that goal and and plan their entire life basically. And, and without that knowledge that you you know put on on your children of yeah. that it's okay that if it doesn't work out that way we just have to figure out a different goal um yeah so i i i think having its detriment for and it's stressful for for somebody of that age to plan out their entire life yeah yeah i, I think we're doing students. it's a service it's a service basically yeah of this comes from like hindsight like as we grow older a lot of this shit makes more sense like the way we're talking yeah like i don't know if that would have made sense to me 20 years ago no you know what i mean and and of course that's just the way life goes um but i i feel this the same way it's like you know um i don't know what the answer is i just know like there's just too much um expected response there's this expectation of the youth at a young age to to perform at a high level that they'll feel guilty for not achieving because two years in they're going to be like i don't want to do this anymore and now they've got this debt that's Mm -hmm. going to fucking destroy their life if it's not handled correctly um so i feel like when, when i'm listening to you talk and 
and break shit down, you know, the journey that it took for you to get to where you are now, the ups and downs and as unpleasant as it may have been at times, but look at you now where it's okay to say that like, this is a fantastic story of it was an unorthodox road that I took, but I recognize it and now I want to blow up. I want to blow this up and move in this direction full force and you've got the understanding of how important it is, the education that you're receiving, your focus, you're locked in. Like you're still young, you're 31 years old. Dude. Yeah. You know, do you ever do you ever look at that and go like I I'm good. I'm 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 ready to to take over the world that that feeling that yeah. euphoric moment yeah most definitely and it, it's funny that you mentioned that because like you know I, I speak to people and you know they ask me my age and they ask me what I'm doing for school and I'm like in my first year of pre-med and then you always get those people are like oh you're starting kind of late there huh and I'm just like yeah but I, at least I started you know my god <laughs> by the time you're, you're done with pre-med you're gonna be in the prime of your life like oh, that's yeah. a 40s for me I'm like that listen I I I wish I would have started this a lot earlier, but I'm glad I'm doing it now. I'm 43 years old. Like, I love what I'm doing with the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. There's times where I'm like, fuck, I wish I would have started in my 20s. But I don't know if I would have been able to create the content that I'm creating no. with the mindset of a 23 year old. Exactly. I, I, I'm, it, so I look forward to to seeing you progress. And, and, and usually I like to talk about five year goals, but we kind of already discussed that and and the goal is to not have a goal is that fair to say that you're, is fair you're to open say. to many different possibilities i am open i'm open to not limiting ourselves to our potential you know uh being with patients that are waiting has even has put me in many positions where i can see black excellence mm. um Patients are waiting um, has put me in many rooms where, like I said, are able to see black excellence, be able to see um, that people of color, even though it's struggle, not knocking the struggle, can make it in this country. Yeah. You know, they can make it a country uh, in this country. And uh, if you it all starts within yourself, though, you know what I'm saying? I Growing up, I was too worried about other people. I wasn't worried about myself. Gotcha. And I feel like that's how a lot of people are growing up, is that they they're, they don't want to look at their own flaws. They don't want to look at their own you know things that they need to work on. So we're going to focus on everybody else. Whereas in we get older, then we start self-reflecting and start to accept you know, the things that were and the yeah. things that aren't and the things that will be. Yeah. You know, uh, and... I'm 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 proud. I can say I'm proud and ac I feel accomplished when I look back at where I was. Yeah. You know, uh you know, heavy into drugs, homeless, things like that just and then to to be here and sitting at, you know, in the same room as like, you know, the mayor and CEOs of companies and and things like that and directors of organizations, it's a very um it's very humbling, you know. Um and I just, I actually just recently stepped down from my director position. Uh, okay. Patients are waiting. Um, solely because I, I wanted to focus on school. Um, and patients are waiting is 
a great resource for students who are looking to get into the medical field. Um, and I felt that I will benefit from their resources more as a full-time student than I would as a full-time employee. Gotcha. Um, and they have made that transition very easy and seamless for me, um, Fantastic. which is, is amazing. Um, and I just, uh, I, and now I just got, I was very disheartened because I, I was sad that I had to put my community work on hold for, gotcha. for a little bit. Um, but I just got recently uh, hired at City Hall through uh, the neighborhood uh, Department of Neighborhood Engagement um, through their AmeriCorps VISTA program. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I will basically be working specifically with the people who apply and get the Love Your Block grant. So oh, I, will okay. be, I will be the Love Your Block guy. Gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will be the love your block guy. So um that that was very um exciting and it's it's just another step in my journey. Yes. Um you know, I I know that there is a lot of of work that needs to be done and I know that it never stops. Um so that's why even though I deal with my mental health issues, I deal I still deal with it, you know, to this day, like, you know, depression is a motherfucker, yeah, <laughs> you know, it is. Um, and, and I deal with that, the depression that, that lasts for like over a week, like don't leave the house, isolate type okay. depression. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, it's, it's hard. Um, well, it's, it's very ac accomplishing knowing that this is just another step in my journey. Um, and I'm going to continue trying to innate change in any way that I can. Positive change. Yeah. You know, um, I've I've learned to accept. And this is where I was talking about, like, we grow up wanting, uh, you know, a quick satisfaction or or and and so like I've learned and I have learned to accept that. I'm plant the seeds that I'm planting now. I will not, I may not see grow in my lifetime. Right. You know, um, and that was a hard thing to accept um, because, you know, you work so hard for change. You want to see that change, you know, yeah. but I've learned that I may not see it. Um, and I may put like a small hole, but that's exactly what planting seeds is. It's planting seeds and then the roots will grow. And then that's, we're just, we're building a foundation here. In yeah. A sense. And there's a liberating, uh, there's a liberating feeling about that when you come to a conclusion like that, because I've come I've come to that conclusion in my own way where it's like um, it, and it, it goes into learning patience because you do want to see the fruits of your labor. Yes. Um, and that's natural. But it, it took me some time to be like there. There are things that I'm putting in motion in my life that. I may not see come to fruition, but I do believe that my grandkids or my great grandkids will benefit from what I'm trying to put in motion. And I'm at peace with that. And so that coming to coming to a peace with things you can't control. I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, there's there's a liberating feeling about that where it's like, OK, well, then I'm, I don't have to stress about that because it's it's out of my control. It is what it is. And I can sleep and I'm at peace. Oh, yeah. I, 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 you know, despite my insomnia, sometimes I sleep so much better and not stressing <laughs> about every little thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and but the thing is, is that it takes work to get to that point. Absolutely. You know, people people think that it's just, you know, this mental health journey is 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 a, is 
not to be taken lightly. You know, you have to do some real soul searching and you have to accept some of the worst parts of yourself, you know, and things that you've did and done um, before you can start healing, mm. you know. Uh, and I look at the person that I was before and the person that I am now, you know, whereas I would do anything before growing up, you know, to get another hit of a drug or things like that. Whereas in now, like I'm looking for knowledge, I'm looking for education. I've, you know, yoga is a very huge help. Yeah. You mentioned <laughs> yeah. that earlier. Is that yeah. something that's very, you're involved in your life doing yoga? Yeah. Or? Uh, it, it, it was brought into my life. Thanks to my partner, Steven. Um, he put me onto it and I, recently fell off but i was doing it every single day gotcha um you know in the morning and it helps with you know when you say fell off you mean now you do it twice a week or something yeah basically that's a lot more than a lot of people (laughs) yeah Yeah, most definitely um i don't do it at all so congratulations no it's yeah exactly but it's very people don't realize the impact that yoga has because like that whole feeling of like for instance when we're stressed our, our muscles get tensed up. We, we, we become achy and things like that. Um, people don't realize how much emotions they hold in mm. their body, in different parts of their body. Um, sometimes people, like for instance, my partner Steven for, holds all his emotion in his left thigh for some reason. Wow. And, and so like when he hasn't done yoga in a while uh, and, and he, he does it when he works on that area to the point that like emotions come out crying. Uh, wow yeah it's it's really it's really exhilarating sometimes like that but it takes a while to even get to that process gotcha yeah because you know because starting yoga you know people constantly have an idea of what yoga should be um and people think that it's not for them or they think that uh yoga is only for flexible people you know or things like that but what I've learned is that yoga is made for non-flexible people, (laughs) you know, yoga is made for non-flexible people. And it also gives us a sense of when you incorporate meditation into your yoga, it gives you the power to be able to cancel all the noise that is around you. Yeah. Um, it, it gives you the power to be able to not just cancel the noise, but be able to, pinpoint and i'm using this literally and metaphorically as well okay as far as that to be able to cancel the noise and also amplify it so that you can hear different parts and cut out the rest of the noise gotcha you know what i'm saying um you have to be very comfortable in your own silence and Mm. that that is the thing that that would be difficult i would think for some people oh yeah it's difficult for a lot of people um you know because the minute that they try to, you know, try to quiet their thoughts, that that test that's coming up looms in their head or they forgot to do something during the day. And, you know, I always just recommend just give yourself just two minutes, three minutes a day of just silence, silence or just shutting off your thoughts. And I, I appreciate guided meditation because guided meditation uh, gives you like images to think about like, oh, you're going through, you know, uh, a forest or things like that. And but you're focusing on that image, you're creating that image in your head, but you're st- even though it's not really silent, uh, you're creating that image, right? you're focusing on that story and it's blocking out all of the things that are stressing you out right. from coming in. 
you know, so in a sense, it's still meditation. Gotcha. Learning how to block that out. Um, but it is a struggle. Like, even though I'm on medication, even though I do yoga, uh, I still have my bad days. And I still, it's not, I don't think that people who deal with mental health it has a lot of work to do. I still have a lot of work to do. I still have a lot of traumas that I need to worry about. And that's uh, another thing, too, is that I feel like we as a society needs to become more trauma informed. Mm. Um, I just recently went through a course in order to become more trauma informed, but it's made me it's made me look at people's actions a lot differently. And it's made me be able to separate uh, intent behind impact, gotcha. intent and impact. Gotcha. Um, so I can look at something that somebody did to hurt me. And I can take, remove, I can now, because I used, I was horrible at this before, I can remove myself and my feelings from the equation and I can see why maybe that person did that. Okay. Was it out of malicious intent or was it because they felt shitty about themselves or is it because they were taught to do this? You know, people think that when another person does something to hurt them that it's always because it was to hurt them but not taking into consideration what may have led up to that sure point. sure and i think it takes a lot of growth though to think along those lines because it's very easy to stop at why did you do this to me you you did this to me most definitely but to put the extra step to go what took place before you did this to me yeah and and, and to be um sympathetic you know like that that takes a lot of growth and maturity a lot of people have hard time i know i have a hard time doing that to some to some degree yeah i mean and and i even though i have learned to do that i still do struggle with it sometimes because it's just hard where we're bred to be a certain way um but i i i i it took, like you said, you're still, you're in your forties and you're still, you know, not like mm -hmm. that. Like I just recently came into this thought process. So it wasn't like, right. like, like I, I like up until like last year, like I was just emotionally, you know, unavailable and unstable, you know? Um, and I've had to really a change my environment, um, as well as the people that are around me. Gotcha. Um, cause that is very huge. And I had to focus on myself and surround myself with people that actually want to see me succeed. Gotcha. Um, Absolutely. That are, I, I, that I always laughed when people said, surround yourself with successful people, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true, you know, yeah. because, and, but like when you get into like, uh, around a good group of successful people like like Dr. Hamlin and Dr. Livingston, who even though in their success and even like Dr. Hamlin's husband, who's Sean Murphy, his name's uh, Mr. Motivation. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Like they they all genuinely, even though in they have their success and and they're thriving, they want to see me and others succeed and yes. and get to the top. And people like Dr. Hamlin and Dr. Livingston and you know Mr. Motivation. Um, and even people like Dom and Terry and, and things like that are actually doing, you know, things to help, you know, uh, kids feel more 
secure and safe in themselves and feel like that they can do it you know whereas in i felt like us growing up our generation we had a hard time you know with seeing even people of color and queer people had a hard time seeing representation representation of themselves in society you know so now you know kids can see like uh people like Terry and, and come into their school and, and, and people like Wednesday uh, to do like teaching hip hop through music and things like that. And it's, nice. it's, it's, it's really, I'm really uh, excited for the direction that uh, Lancaster's youth yes. is going. Yeah. Lancaster's youth um, because I, I believe our youth is going to change the world. And it's always it's always like that, you know, as as generations get smarter and smarter and smarter. Yeah. You know, you look at generations years ago and you look at the generations now and you're just like, wow, it's such a huge difference. Yeah, it is. And I think the goal, too, is to, like, embrace the difference. Mm -hmm. And and once you embrace it, then I believe you'll start to see where you see yourself and you'll start seeing the, the the point that you just made where it's like. Like what a time to be alive! The youth right now, they're in a good place with the the leadership that is there, yes. uh, especially when when they're seeing people that look like them, black and brown um, youth are seeing uh, role models, influencers, um, uh, successful people that are doing big things. And however you want to slice and dice it, they're seeing representation, and that's what matters really, because that's what sparks. Uh, a a child to say I'm doing this I I I'm doing it I'm, and I know I can yeah most definitely there wasn't any representation for us in in lawyer positions or in doctor positions or even even in uh representation in like anatomical like guides like educational anatomical guides okay like, yeah like yeah you're right earlier I th- I would say it was like the end of last year was the first time that I ever saw. Uh, like a diagram of uh, a pregnant person um, who was a person of color with a, a baby who was a person of color and yeah. the diagram explaining what exactly is going on there. It's always white representation. Right. Even in our textbooks, it's right. always white representation. Right. Um, so it, it was just like, it was, it was a uh, heartwarming, but also disheartening as well that like, it took me 31 years to finally see this. Gotcha. And it was just like, you look at it and you're just like, wow, I've never seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it yeah. makes you think it's crazy. Well, that goes to the point you made earlier where, you know, there's things that you won't be around to see the change that you won't be around to see, but the effort and the fight is there to get it. Oh yeah. To get it, to make it happen. Most definitely. Um, I really appreciate this conversation, Sammy and, and getting to know you and, and, um, um, thank you very much for being vulnerable enough. One and two, uh, thank you for sharing the you know the the difficulty that you're having for um, celebrating yourself because yeah. a lot of people have a hard time doing that, and that's something that I've never talked about on this podcast. But it's very relevant to the podcast and what I'm trying to do, and I, and I'm grateful for that because um, imposter syndrome is very very real and. Um, as we're, as I'm talking to you now, like I can recall members of my family that 
are are dealing with that. So it like my brain's already kind of like, man, I need to like I'm seeing my family this week and I'm grateful and I just want to like hug them and say, yo, like you're doing good things. Yeah. And you're allowed to celebrate in that. There's a difference between uh, boasting and confidence and, and cockiness and confidence. Mm-hmm. Loving yourself is important. Oh, yeah. Like, like, and I tell my kids that, like, look in the mirror, and that's the person that needs all your love right now. Mm-hmm. And when you take care of that person, then everybody else will get the love that they need from you. But you got to love yourself. So thank you, man, for 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 sharing this this is a wonderful journey i appreciate oh, it i pre i appreciate it too yeah i i think that uh yeah the impossible the thing is is that people think that accomplishments always have to be on a grand scale it always has to be a big thing in order to be an accomplishment i've had to look at things that people who are struggling with mental health have trouble even sometimes getting out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. and even have trouble getting up and getting dressed or even brushing their teeth. And I try to tell people that like, you got out of bed this morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at that as an accomplishment. Yeah. Like you don't need something big and extravagant to celebrate an accomplishment. It could literally be, Oh, I made myself this banging ass meal today. That's an accomplishment in itself. Absolutely. And if you start looking at the little accomplishments in your life, you start to appreciate life a little bit more. Yeah. And they'll start to, to compile and then you can start moving up to appreciating other big steps in your life. It's a, it's a, they're baby steps. Like you said, it's a process. It is. It takes time. It is. As long as, long as you have the support, um, you surround yourself with good people who want to see you succeed. Um, you'll definitely get through it. You know, you'll definitely get to where you want to go and start to appreciate the journey as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Sammy Rosa, thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. No, thank you talking about coming from a place where you're not getting as much love as you would like or the competition as he mentioned and how it was disrupting him it was in the place where he wanted to grow you know the the escaping addiction here he is now listen sammy once again thank you and good luck brother i don't think you need the luck because you you know what you're doing yeah, you're a smart guy. You're intelligent. You've got a lot of great people behind you already, it seems like. I think the upswing that we talked about for you is high. So I hope you keep in touch, and I look forward uh, to watching you progress. You're doing big things, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Next week for my Christmas special and for the last episode of 2022, I'm going to be talking with Juan Rivera. We're going to talk about dancing, popping and locking, how it all started for him right here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Until then, please remember to love yourself and also maintain focus and stay continuous through all four seasons. My name is Felix C. Arroyo, and these are the Journeyman Chronicles. Y'all be safe. <laughs>